0: You're listening to Music Tectonics.
1: Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your sometimes host. I guess I'm kind of hosting today. This is Dimitri Vitsa. I'm the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music innovation, music technology. And this is a... What would say? Music Tectonics Conference Bestie episode? <laughs> Besties! <laughs> it's one of our news roundups. It's been a long time since we've done one. Um,
2: was the last one maybe our live 200th episode? I think it might have been. I it, think it was, yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. What number do we think we're on now? Oh, no, it's like 225
2: <laughs> or something. Wow. They keep yeah, growing. They do.
1: Well, it's interesting. We are going to do a news roundup. I think we got about five-ish articles from um, you know our own Horizon Scanning, something we do at Rock, Paper, Scissors. Is keep an eye on news in the industry sometimes it's about the size of the industry revenue generating sources growth uh, shrinking um, also trends big big picture things some of them are related to music some are related to technology some to society and then also specific news items that just should affect the overall industry and uh, I wanted to kick it off with one I think relevant to podcast listening Um, but before I do that uh who are these other voices here? We've got with us on the show Eleanor Rust our Hello. director of marketing at Rock Paper Scissors and Music Tectonics, the conference, the podcast. You wouldn't be listening to this if it wasn't for Eleanor, honestly. She <laughs> she makes she, we've got our editor Grace Elmer who's not on today, but she uh, but Eleanor makes sure everything's happening. And Shaylee Ankenbrook
0: Hello. Who's
1: our conference planner for Music Tectonics? Although, really, we rope her into all sorts of events. If you've ever been in an online event with Music Tectonics over the last year or so, Shaylee was part of that, making that making sure that happened too. Heck yeah, great to have you guys on the show.
2: <laughs> great to be here.
1: And uh, you know, there may be people out there that are listening intently, and all they're doing is listening to this podcast. But I have a feeling that a lot of any podcast listeners are doing something else. They're washing dishes. They're walking the dog. They're taking a jog. They're hopefully. Hopefully they're not like um trying to do something that's like flying a plane. <laughs> <laughs> too distracting. But Media Research, who we're super fans of, uh, the the research and consulting firm, uh, has a new article out called Welcome to the Era of Attention Inflation. And I might just kick off by reading this because they define what they mean by attention inflation. The COVID pandemic and associated lockdown dynamic allowed entertainment consumption to reach new heights amongst a temporary surplus of free time, right? Everyone all of a sudden was doing all this stuff. However, after Restrictions eased. Consumers found the constraints on their newfound time tighten and had to make sacrifices often preferring to return to real-life activities at the expense of digital entertainment. Oh, no! (laughs) Uh, The intuitive expectation was that consumers would lose some of their newly found engagement time, but this is happening only partially. Consumers got so accustomed to the higher levels of consumption that rather than giving it back when prompted, their response was to accommodate this additional engagement through increased multitasking and therefore... Diluted focus or attention. As a result, background and social consumption together made up more than half of all entertainment hours in Q1 of 2022. So they've got this new report. They're defining this inflation, uh, this attention inflation, uh, because people are doing more background stuff. They're doing other stuff at the same time. Um, They go on to say, as each unit of user attention becomes divided among an increasing number of activities, the value of that attention is diminished. This is the concept of attention inflation, where time spent on entertainment is growing while simultaneously becoming valuable. And the other thing that I thought this was interesting, because we've had Mark Mulligan from from media speak on the podcast at the conference and so forth. He talked about attention recession, mm-hmm. um, about uh, how everything – was that at the first conference? It was, yeah, yeah. It was the very
2: first conference.
1: Yeah, so he he kind of put that out there, and it was sort of this idea that people are adding more and more stuff to co- consume to do, but at some point, you only have 24 hours in a day, right? right?
2: That was the time when Netflix was saying that their biggest competitor was sleep.
1: Right. And they were winning, (laughs) but now who's, you know, there's still this competition. So it also says this dynamic is the next evolution of a trend that previously culminated in the attention recession, a period in which different forms of entertainment were increasingly forced to compete amongst themselves for the same finite attention. And, um, what was interesting about this to me was they said the big winners in this, uh, situation, the current situation of this attention inflation, uh, are things that you can do that don't require a behavioral change. And they said the big winners, music streaming and social media saw huge rises in consumption over the past 18 months, while video Mm -hmm. formats generally saw a decline due to their higher attention demands. Multitasking with music and audio is naturally easier than with video and games. However, it should be noted that this does not mean that focus heavy formats such as games are going away, rather they can adapt by including multitasking friendly content alongside the usual focus-heavy propositions.
2: So backgroundable media is winning in this uh, in this inflation economy.
1: And it's interesting. I've noticed myself, I'm embarrassed to say, as a longtime music industry person, listening to music that is specifically for while I'm doing other stuff, mm-hmm. which is not how I used to listen to music. Right. And some of it, I think, is related to the post-pandemic era, the modern era of wars and Supreme Court, decisions turning over important women's rights issues and where, you know, I, I kind of just want something to like even me out while I'm doing other stuff.
2: Yeah. And that's a good point is that, is that, um, all of these media is not interchangeable and, uh, there are other factors besides just the hours in the day, uh, and what you've been used to consuming. There's, there's, there's peaks and valleys in, in your attention being required, as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm like constantly consuming more than one
0: form of media, like nonstop with music, with social media, like you can scroll and watch TV and have music (laughs) on in the house at the same time. You're too screeny. Yeah, definitely.
2: Mm -hmm. So one thing that this reminded me of uh, So I don't believe this article uh, drew direct connections to say advertising revenue. Um, But we've seen these sort of inflation recession cycles in things like you know advertising for blogs and then for YouTube where there's a a boom and then a bubble collapsing that leads to this you know over this competition over advertising dollars that sees everything kind of shrink Um, I'm really curious if we're gonna see that happen or if uh, this leaning into backgroundable media is going to maybe lead to more growth. So,
1: but in a sense, it's also, it it varies by format, right? Mm -hmm. So if a format was a heavy attention, like do one task at a time format, that became sort of where people were gravitating towards mm-hmm. on this macroeconomic uh, societal level, then that platform could be successful at getting attention and selling that attention through ads. Mm-hmm. But if it's only audio, and if it's only audio that doesn't have ads and is, in, and, and is not as interruptible in that sense, it, it, it leads to forces that that platform can't really... Right. Change right,
2: right. We've been seeing a lot of news about um, big money advertising in podcasts, and a lot of data that suggests that podcast advertising, especially host read ads, are um, are really powerful. But I wonder if we're going to see that change because ads are not as backgroundable as. Uh...
1: Although the host red ads are better because it feels more consistent Mm -hmm. maybe for listeners. And now
2: a word from our sponsor. Right. (laughs) Music
1: Tectonics Conference coming October 25th through 27th. Get your
2: badge at (laughs) (laughs) musictectonics.com.
1: Just one little little piece from this article, which by the way is, uh, though they have one of their big reports, this particular article is written by Perry Gresham. Shout out to Perry. Um, We predict that attention will peak again this winter, but with a huge background component. The trend towards increased multi multitasking is a creative hack by the consumers, but this dynamic cannot last forever. If consumers continue to dilute their time forever, they will ultimately end up with no engagement at all. Therefore, there must be an upper limit to multitasking, which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. to think about as well. And
2: if engagement in the media decreases, then I'm expecting that you know things like advertising dollars will mm-hmm. also decrease.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it makes me wonder if any of the video services that you can only play in background mm-hmm. when you pave the premium we'll co- reconsider whether there's a free version that you can play in background interesting like yeah. when you when you have youtube on your phone if you mm-hmm. don't have the premium mm-hmm. account you have to it keep stops. it open, yeah. Keep yeah, that's it open. Their, yeah that's one of their that's one of
2: their their uh, uh, gate like and a hack. they're gatekeeping, yeah. yeah. But if they can't
1: sell those ads or if those ads aren't working and then they can't sell those ads as a result, then maybe who knows? I don't yeah. know. Not to pick on YouTube or anything, but um <laughs> cool. So that was a that's kind of a nice big picture trend. Now, shaley you also came across something recently. Uh the McKinsey Technology Trends Outlook 2022 came out in late August. Um tell us what what interested you there.
0: Yeah. So this, this article was definitely more big picture trends on the technology industry as a whole, but I picked out five trends that I thought were really unique to the space that we're constantly working in. Um, This wasn't the first one, but it was kind of the one I wanted to start on because obviously everyone is talking about web three nonstop right now. Um, So web three had $110 billion of investment in 2021. But what I also found interesting was this, this article gave um, an adoption score on a scale of zero to five. And Web3 had an adoption score of one, which I found to be really interesting. Um, another one that was close to the top was AI technology. This had $165 billion in investment in 2021. And this had high adoption at four on that scale of zero to five. So
1: I wonder if what they're measuring with the adoption, whether it's the because obviously it's not the adoption like investment. Or, yeah, it must be. Yeah, consu- yeah, yeah. Be, or, or maybe yeah. it's some sort of like uh, trust rating or something like whether the public thinks it's going to come mm-hmm. into play or, or something like that. Because uh, yeah, I mean the dollars are similar in terms of investment, mm-hmm. but people are still wondering what what Web three is going to do in their lives or yeah. do for them.
2: Mm-hmm. And another way those two different uh, differed uh, was another metric they used was. Um, I think they call, might have called it innovation, but it had yep. to do with research being put towards these features. So Web three scored really low on that sort of scientific research front, whereas AI technology scored really high, mm-hmm. which I think uh, you know matches what we see. Where um, while there are definitely lots of business applications for AI, we see a ton of academic research uh, mm-hmm. from universities uh, going into. Um, developing AI and developing its uses, whereas Web three seems to be sort of—I mean, it is—we think Bunch of it of as kind of eyebrows. yeah, we think of it as a gatecrasher. That it's 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 more it's more business, less uh, less research, less, mm-hmm. less science, scientific.
1: Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder if there's a correlation between the investment and the adoption rates, like high investment, low adoption rate. That being early on the yeah. curve of innovation, or mm-hmm. not necessarily that it'll find product market fit, but that if it does, that's Mm -hmm. the early moment. And then as you see adoption increase, uh, it, it shows that there's, there's traction and that the investment warranted it, and maybe it goes backwards when bubbles burst.
2: Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, one great thing about this article was the visual representation. It showed sort of it showed many different metrics along a two-dimensional um, representation, and so you could really see things move over time and really compare um, different factors in different ways. Uh, so we're going to include a link in the show notes because you really, if you're a visual thinker like me, you'll definitely want to see um, exactly how they've laid out this complicated matrix in an easy-to-understand way cool what
1: were some of the other trends
2: yeah so there's
0: there's a couple more advanced connectivity with 166 billion in investment um industrializing machine learning with 5 billion in investment in 2021 and then this one I also found really interesting is immersive reality technologies and this one had 30 billion in investment which I found to be a little bit low considering um just like going through the pandemic in 2021 and all the technology that uh, emerged from the pandemic I just I don't know I thought that immersive reality technologies would be have a higher investment on that,
2: yeah. And I think um, if I remember right, I don't have the article right in front of me, but if I remember right, it grew more slowly than AI technology. But I guess when you think about it, AI technology covers an enormous range of sectors, whereas immersive reality technologies is one yeah. is one smaller uh, smaller sector. But the fact that they focused on it alongside, you know, really major shifts in computing power shows, I think, its power as a trend
1: some of the some of those advanced tech connectivity and the and the ai and the industrialized machine learning stuff to me is almost like um adoption of just technology in general in a way it's like the next phase of so like advanced connectivity for example 5g and they talk about even 6g um cellular they talk about low power networks they talk about um uh, earth to orbit satellites for internet and connectivity and things like that those things they're almost like infrastructure. They're just like Mm -hmm. modernizing infrastructure. So sure, maybe there's more you can do with immersive technology once you have 5G Mm -hmm. mobile devices. And in parts of the world where Ethernet is never, a wired connection is never going to be a realistic thing, They, they get the leapfrog. uh, No dial-ups. Yeah. Straight from
2: from landlines to... Straight from
1: building a fire to having 5G. You know, like, nothing nothing (laughs) in between. I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit, but what it means to me is that you can get larger growth of adoption of Mm -hmm. these higher-tech things that require that level of connectivity. So we might see some interesting video live stream or immersive technology Mm -hmm. that is coming from very remote places. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we might see people moving directly from in-person music making to a pocket DAW rather than you know kind of going through a traditional studio path
1: exactly yeah
2: that's what i think of when i hear about advanced connectivity and and machine learning just that those things are able to be leveraged for a wider and wider audience as they're as they're adopted and as more investment goes towards them so for music that means tons of creativity will be unlocked
1: Right. Exactly. The same. Yeah. With the AI stuff. Exactly. Like, like what other music making is going to happen for people who never had access to certain tools or training or whatever. The phone just does it and they, they start being creative and so forth. So, um, of course, these billions of dollars that Shaylee, you're talking about people investing. were not in music. They were in the overall categories right. for yeah, studies,
2: technology, so. as but a whole. think about what it unlocks for our, wow. for our yeah. industry.
1: Exactly. You know what? We've got more to talk about, but we should probably take a quick break. We've got an announcement. We'll be right back.
0: Hey, Music Tectonics podcast listeners. It's Shaylee here to give you some more Music Tectonics conference updates. The next update I want to share with you all is what is going to be happening on the morning of October 27th. So we are going to be at Expert Dojo, which is this rooftop open air venue just a couple blocks from the beach, and we are going to hear a presentation on the future of music from Media Research. We're going to hear from analysts Chris Dakrar and Tatiana Sirasana as they give a data-driven presentation around how music is becoming a background activity as media consumption transitions to platforms like TikTok and Twitch rather than traditional DSPs like Spotify. Don't miss this presentation and all the other great things happening at the Music Tectonics Conference this year in Santa Monica, California, October 25th through 27th. Get your Music Tectonics Conference
1: badge at musictectonics.com. All right, we are back with our news roundup. Me, Shaley, Eleanor, we're here. I thought I would just mention one. We don't have to go into too much detail. As you can see, we can talk about these things for, <laughs> for eons here. But um, uh, Music Business Worldwide did an article not too long ago, about, long ago that was called NFT Marketplace OpenSea's Trading Volume Dives." 99% is the bubble bursting. Uh, I'll just read a little bit from it. On August 28th, OpenSea Process 93 point f- three nine point $34 million in NFT transactions, well below its May 1st peak of $2.7 billion, according to data from decentralized applications tracker DAP Radar. The number of OpenSea users also plummeted to just 22,000. 140 on Sunday, September 5th from nearly 60,000 in January. DAP radar data showed OpenSea refuted the DAP radar data telling Fortune that it was an unfair comparison. A spokesperson said the data tracker compared OpenSea's record trading day with one of its lowest. The spokesperson added that the company is not worried about the drop in trading volume. OpenSea prefers to calculate ETH volume with which excludes the effects of the cryptocurrency's price fluctuations. A little bit of getting into the weeds here because OpenSea's arguing with Fortune's uh, or DAP Radar's uh, analysis of this. But I
2: should mention that they did lay off 20% of their staff. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, forecasts of a crypto winter is something they're very much preparing for
1: yeah and they and and they're not denying that in this article it goes on to say that you know they recognize that and they think that there'll be a lot of innovation in the utility of nfts during this winter basically mm-hmm. in other words less speculative stuff <laughs> and less more bubble stuff about, more yeah. bang yeah. yeah i don't know <laughs> i like that Eleanor. <laughs> so uh i think um the the ceo was quoted as this is where we are now in the contraction phase that is settling into a period of stasis this has all been further compounded by the current macronomic and geopolitical turmoil um another uh another person from OpenSea says, during this winter, I expect that we'll see an explosion in innovation and utility across NFTs. With the hard but important changes we made today, we're in a better position to capture what will soon become the largest market on the planet. So I don't know if there's a lot to say here. I mean, it's just, you know, in a news roundup, it seems like when we look at like, what is the potential of NFTs uh, for monetization and music? Good to know about the macroeconomics. Yeah.
2: Well, and definitely good to connect with that McKinsey report where they're showing that relatively low adoption, rate, relatively high investment for low adoption and low research. And maybe we'll see, maybe it'll be interesting to see how different aspects of those metrics grow and whether they push uh, continued investment and adoption in the future.
1: And I think, I've said this before, I may be wrong. I'm not very good at predictions or (laughs) projections or uh, reading a crystal ball, but I think something in the kernel of whatever is happening here with both NFTs and Web3 is definitely going to take over over time. I think the the most successful moment in time will be when we're all interacting with um, collectibles that do or don't have utility, or whatever. But we're not calling them NFTs because
2: that's just the that's just taken for granted. That's just what's happening behind the scenes.
1: Exactly. You know, I'd, I'd rather think about like I got a new
2: digital collectible.
1: Well, even something functional too. Like yeah. maybe I got a new background uh, for <laughs> a game or for my Zoom. I always talk about that because I'm on Zooms more than games. <laughs> yeah, and
0: once things are cross-platform yeah. and can, yeah. you know.
1: Right, and that starts to lead into the idea of like membership or, mm-hmm. or like fan clubs or or, or something right. like that where, yes, you have proof of it through this technology but it Mm -hmm. unlocks these other things Mm -hmm. like discounts or access or
2: spaces where clout really matters you know Mm -hmm. where 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 that getting it first getting it bigger getting it better having you know being more prominent and you know the funny
1: thing about that to me is that you don't actually need blockchain or nfts Mm -mm. specifically Mm -hmm. to have that concept you know like Mm -hmm. frequent flyer clubs have been around forever and we have clients like Um, All Access Anonymous that's building that out for the festival world that has a whole ecosystem, clients like Fave that um, have this fan engagement that they're creating like a like a you can become a verified fan mm-hmm. which is super cool and then what happens once you're a verified fan or a verified super fan mm-hmm. as well you, sure it's you can have it in you know tracked by black blockchain or you can have it as this token but that's not the only way i mean people yeah. did it with membership laminated membership cards
2: <laughs> sure but in both in all of those cases there's a central authority Mm-hmm. which happens it's not mutually agreed upon by all the participants and i think that's what's that's what the you know decentralized
1: it also is. allows for fluidity of what the offers are mm-hmm. and the engagement is because all of and the digital. growth
2: right you can build in your you know your patreon or kickstarter tiers into how that um utility grows
1: and all that's cool regardless of what you call it oh yeah yeah <laughs> so um also from Music Business Worldwide, Eleanor, you pulled out this one about the live concert scene, yeah. live concert interest in the U.S. nearing pre-COVID levels, new study shows. Yeah,
2: and that headline is is, uh, is interesting, but the, the, the details inside the article, I think, are great. And most of this derives from um, Luminate's trend, recent trend reports. Uh, if you want to hear more about Luminate's trend coverage, uh, Tristra did a great interview recently with Jamie Marconette of Luminate on some of the other trends um, that yeah, they're tracking. Definitely check that one out. Yeah. Um, I should maybe say that Luminate's a sponsor of the conference, and that's yeah. one reason why we're um, really digging what their data is doing <laughs> okay but back to this live music report um so one of the major numbers um came from a survey surveying u.s consumers 36 percent said that they planned on attending a conference in the following year versus 15 percent who said they attended one concert in the previous year um and all of uh so luminates report comes from these survey responses but also things like google searches that more people are searching for concerts um than in previous years and it also really jives with a uh, a major report from Live Nation on their sales, attendance figures, revenue, all of that stuff. Um, They say that 2022 is on track to be the biggest year in live music history. Now, um, a lot of this is probably pent-up demand, people who... Um, wanted to go to shows but couldn't for two years and are now um, getting as many shows in as they can but there were some numbers that suggested um, that it may be more than that that there may be more growth that all that many of the core business metrics that Live Nation is tracking far exceed the pre-pandemic metrics so I'm really curious to see if we're if these all of these upward trending lines are gonna keep that trend if we're gonna see some plateaus or falling off
1: yeah, I mean, it is interesting to think about whether there's some data um, data tricks, optical mm-hmm. illusions happening, you know, like nobody bought tickets for two years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, over the next two years, I want to go to some concerts mm-hmm. you start buying tickets right. all at once for stuff that's right now and that's for later. And yeah,
2: forward. and I also, other data tricks, I wonder about people who bought tickets in 2020 Ooh. and those shows have been postponed because some of the bands I follow are doing shows now. For which people bought tickets in 2019, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and uh, so yeah, how is that playing into the? How's that playing into this measurement?
0: This is definitely also really interesting to me because I think I think in a past news roundup we chatted about how the live music space is getting more expensive. Mm. Like, not only are tickets getting more expensive, but the cost to like the cost for the artist to put on an event yeah. is becoming more expensive. So it's interesting that they're still. It's still
2: there's yeah. still a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. There's still revenue growth for for companies like that. Yeah. People
1: are yearning for those experiences. Oh,
0: I definitely yeah. I am. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I spent some time in Portland this summer and got to go to Pickathon, which is a festival that's like it's this year at least. It was in the woods basically. They have these little <laughs> carved out sections of these would would i'd say valerie june was the highlight ever get a chance to see her perform i've seen her before but in this wood setting she was like a she was like an angel wow <laughs> but you know having that experience mm-hmm. up close you know meeting people there like for the first time oh yeah you know the food the drink um yeah. all that stuff and uh and then also out at Savvy island there's a there's a new festival. At, Salve Island is this little place where you go to pick berries <laughs> or take walks or bike rides. And somebody took over one of the farms there to do a concert series. So we've oh, got wow. to see shows like Gregory Allen Isakoff out, out there behind a 500 year old Oak tree. Oh I mean, wow. of wow. course you're going to pay yeah. something for that. You yeah. know, wow. <laughs> you could stream it in the background or you could actually go there and buy the <laughs> yeah. food and sit with friends and.
2: Way to bring watch it back around to the first thing we talked about. <laughs> that is really interesting. Actually the thought of that while there's a big growth in back, groundable media that maybe what people will want to drop their dollars on are these things that are unrepeatable, uncapturable, unbackgroundable.
1: I'm sure that my 13 year old was uh, pulling up TikTok occasionally at the festivals, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you know, <laughs>
2: yeah. it also, you know, I wonder if there's, if that's a response in some ways to pandemic restrictions. I was, um, this is a slightly weird neuron firing, but um, I've been talking to some theater people who it seems like a big trend for them are these immersive small group experiences rather than the traditional series of shows Mm -hmm. that you pack in as many people to the auditorium as you can so ferrying people out to the woods you know Mm -hmm. 20 50 people at a time instead of you know a thousand people in an auditorium
1: i wish there were only 50 people there parking was like a shuttle right away
0: (laughs) that's something that i feel like really came out of the pandemic is with live streaming events you can you could really get intimate with an artist and you could like they would be like what song do you want to hear next or like they would ask for a lot of that fan engagement because it was accessible like just in the chat bar on the side of your screen and I felt that a lot South by Southwest was kind of my first going back to any live events and I really felt like a lack of quality Uh. on live artists after spending the last year and a half listening to like really great live streamed artists.
2: Mm, Interesting. Interesting. I wonder if that's where we're going to see some growth in event tech, Mm -hmm. um, to sort of increase that, that, um, exciting, intimate experience. I don't know. Um, I mean, we keep seeing, hearing things about AR augmentation for, um, for live events, um, whether it's for the people watching them at home or for the people who are there at the event. Um, I wonder if that's one way to sort of capture some, you know, provide a unique experiences for those at home and for those at the show. They're two different experiences. Yeah. Like
0: they, they're not, I mean, obviously, during the pandemic, like live streaming kind of performances came to fill in where live performances couldn't be at the time. But now I think they should be looked at as totally separate entities and they're not really comparable. Yeah. Um, I think they can definitely both like learn stuff from one another. but
2: Yeah. In fact, I think that the Music Business Worldwide report ended in talking about some pretty... um, blockbuster live streaming events that definitely, um, even with this huge return to live, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on in live streaming that's still innovating and still um, and still getting fans super excited.
1: And there's a lot going on in the news. In fact, we have one more article we want to make sure to hit. But before we do that, we're going to take one quick break.
2: Does your company belong at the center of the conversation about music, tech, and innovation? Listen, you should consider sponsoring the Music Tectonics Conference. It takes place in person, October 25th through the 27th, 2022, in the Music Tech Hub of Los Angeles. Top tier sponsorships are selling fast, but we still have a spot for you. Whether your business is a hungry startup or an industry leader already, Every sponsorship level comes with an exhibitor booth at the Lowe's Santa Monica Beach Hotel on October 26th, the main conference hub for keynotes and panels. Your company will be at this epicenter of music, tech, and innovation throughout the event. That's just one perk of being a sponsor at Music Tectonics. You could be a guest on this podcast or even play a role in conference programming. Interested? Let's talk. Go to musictectonics.com to start the conversation with our contact form. And now, back to the show.
1: Okay, we are back with this news roundup. And uh, yeah, we're we're thinking about the conference a lot because it's coming up so soon. But... Um, This may be the most important piece of news for the music industry. From Variety, uh, Jem Oswad put out this piece. It was obviously reported elsewhere, too. Music publishers, streaming services avoid another battle royale by setting royalty rates for the next four years. Big news because, well, this affects the overall revenue of every part of the (laughs) industry, really. Um, It starts off, after a grueling, hard-fought, and ultimately victorious legal battle over streaming rates for the years 2000, 2018 to 22, the National Music Publishers Association, the Nashville Songwriters Association, International, and the Digital Media Association today have announced a settlement with streaming services for certain mechanical streaming rates in the U.S. for the years 2023 to 2027, colon... 15.35%. The announcement comes as a surprise, as the NMPA has been saying for months that it would push for a 20% rate for the forthcoming period. However, sources tell Variety that concessions were made on both sides, likely in the form of modifications that reach beyond the headline rate, such as the way that, quote, bundles, such as discounted streaming subscription rates for family and student plans and per subscriber minimums, Are treated. Sources also say that both sides were eager to avoid another protracted, distracting, and brutally expensive legal battle, to put it mildly. The fight (laughs) over the previous 2018 to 22 rate period went on for more than three years and cost many millions of dollars in legal and other fees. Um, There's a little bit more about the details uh, on this too. It, It gets into the weeds, but I will read a little more. While specifics were not provided, according to the announcement, the new deal includes a number of changes to other components of the rate, including increases of the per subscriber minimums and the quote, total content costs. TCC calculations, which reflect the rates that services pay to record labels. The agreement also modernizes the treatment of bundles of products or services that include music streaming and updates how services can offer incentives to attract new subscribers. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot in the, in the details as well. And
2: bundling has been, has been pretty controversial, right? It's like how it's, you know, part of all of the, Crazy math that goes into those mm-hmm. black box royalties from DSPs, and uh,
1: and in this case, they're talking about like bundling users, right. where where this you know you have families and students mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. so forth. All the things that we think you know, you think about it as a consumer, where you say, "Oh, well, this is cool, this is a nice deal, or whatever," is actually gets into these negotiations with rights holders because it shifts how much they get paid, and mm-hmm. so the DSPs have to have to sort of include that in these negotiations, which then. Uh, impacts their ability to to market and and grow and so forth, um, but you know this is great. Uh, publishers won a big victory in July when the Copyright Royalty Board upheld its 2018 decision to raise the rate to 15. One percent from the previous eleven point four percent. That is so crazy from two thousand eighteen to twenty two. Um, so, yeah, this is a, a continued increase. People, some people were surprised that it was only a little bit more than mm-hmm. the, the 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 newest increase, uh, right? But uh, obviously, there were some other negotiations behind the scenes mm-hmm. that probably affected the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I think you know the main thing here really is just. It's good for the music industry. I don't know how get
0: paid. Yeah, yes.
1: The streaming services have to take take a hit on it, but I think mm-hmm. it's important for rights holders and ultimately creators Absolutely. to be able to make make a living or even do better if they, you know, if they hit it big mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a great song. And
2: honestly, just being able to do this without the protracted legal battle that this is, you know, hopefully a more collaborative process that will will affect you know, when we have to come back to this this these uh, these questions in what was it 2020 um, that hopefully there'll be models for um, for a less adversarial and more. You know, collegial way of making these decisions. And it really
1: does, even though it sounds very like in the weeds conversation, very technical and legal and 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 financial in that sense. Um, it really does to me mark a, a turning point in a way because you know, first there was the battle around uh, free downloads, peer mm-hmm. peer share, peer to peer sharing, then iTunes coming up with a model of of paid downloads, and then streaming had to almost have the battle all over again because it's yeah. it's changing the immediate price in a sense of music <laughs> and it's taken a long time for it to scale now that it's scaled there's no longer an argument of oh but it's going to be bigger when you scale in a sense right. it's like well it's it's it'll continue to grow to some extent but it's you know maybe yeah. tabling off g- worldwide so it's good to set rates at a, at a place that seems more fair for mm-hmm. the rights holders but in addition what intrigues me about all of it is that this is the new baseline for revenue in the industry right and we've the the battles have been fought about digital licensing of music and now, the other news that we like to track is about these, this added icing layer that's getting thicker and thicker of how mm. um, music is being monetized through social media like Facebook deals, TikTok deals, um, and gaming and fitness and health and so forth. That this those whereas streaming competed with downloads, downloads competed with physical, the fitness or the health or the gaming it doesn't really compete with your music listening. It adds value. It like becomes more soundtrack for.
2: And ideally there's synergy, right? Ideally these things work together.
1: Well, we right. see it. I mean, we see it. If you read any industry stuff from from managers or record labels, they want their stuff to pop on TikTok because mm-hmm. it affects Spotify right. and Apple, you know, like you want, you know, like one is for discovery and growth and then the other is for monetization and, mm-hmm. and sort of non-background, a little less background listening <laughs> or something like that. So I think it's a, I think it's a good sign. Yeah. Cool. Well, we, um, we're we always interested in checking out news stories. Feel free to send us any that you think we should keep an eye on. It's a busy uh, conference season for us right now because October 25th through 27th is the Music Tectonics Conference in Santa Monica. Um, where do
2: we get tickets for that thing? Um, I think we should probably go to musictectonics.com.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we still have a couple of exhibitor sponsorships, our media yes, sponsors. Yes, we
2: have a couple meteor
0: sponsors left. Email me at shaley at rockpaperscissors.biz.
1: And we've actually sold out of all of our Supernova sponsorships. We've sold out all of our star sponsorships. There's just a couple of Meteors left. It's going to be awesome. You're going to want to be there.
2: Yeah, those exhibitor tables are in the center of the action on the second day of the Music Tectonics Conference. It's going to be amazing. Yeah.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We'll be back with more episodes soon. Listen every week. Subscribe. Rate us highly. We'd love to have you.
2: (laughs) Share with your
0: friends.
1: Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dmitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye.